I'm Chandler Strawn with Chandler Strawn Farms in Dorchester, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So great to be with you again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, these fall rains we've seen across a lot of Texas have been a big shot in the arm for our wheat crop this fall. However, we may have gotten a bit too much rain in central and northeast Texas because there are some wheat fields there that may never get planted thanks to the wet conditions. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With farmers losing a lot of potential profits to input cost inflation, some are wondering if the next farm bill can provide a remedy. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll bring you some insight from Dr. Joe Outlaw of Texas A&M. The nation's largest onion transplant grower is now harvesting those onions in the Texas Winter Garden. I'm Tom Nicoletti and we'll go to Carrizo Springs to talk more with that producer on Texas Ag Today. Hot and cold weather here in Central Texas. This is Dr. Shane McClellan and I'll have more from Waco. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Last week's crop progress report showed that nearly 80% of the Texas wheat crop has been planted, but there is some wheat that may not get planted at all. Central and northeast Texas has received very good rainfall in the last couple of months, but it may have been too much rain. Farmers like Ben Schultz haven't been able to get one single seed in the ground this year. In northeast Texas, there was a few fields planted, but very limited acres planted. It, normally we wait till the latter half of October to begin planting. Primary issues that are associated with that is Haitian fly and, and ryegrass. So fellows were waiting for at least a rain to try to start. Well, we got anywhere from eight to 10 inches for over about a two week period or so. And, and since then, we've continued to have a lot of cloudy days, cool weather, few showers along the way, and heavy black soil just, just hasn't dried out. Schultz Farms in Levon, just northeast of Dallas, he says time is getting away from him very quickly. Well, at this point, for insurance, we do have December 15th is our cutoff date for insurance without taking penalties and planting beyond that. But the desire to plant wheat in mid-December is not very good because research from over 50 years ago had uh, proven that we need to try to get wheat up, try to tiller by around the first year to get normal yield potential for the season. Schultz may end up putting corn on those unplanted wheat acres once the soil dries out. For most of this year, we've been hearing about the need for more hook space in the beef packing industry, but that may not be the case now with a shrinking cattle herd. 
Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says we may have enough hook space right now. But are those hooks in the right places? Every ag economist in the country and any of them that are listening to this are going to call me and say, don't say we need more hooks. You know, we, we've got plenty of hooks now with the, with the contraction. And that's true. But, but do we have the right hooks around the country? Do we have the right mix? Do we have enough diversified options for producers to market into so that they feel like they have choices? And, and I think that's where our focus is right now. It's not necessarily just plus, plus, plus. But, but how do we diversify that offering regionally as well as, you know, in size and, and kind of marketing niche? Lane says his organization has been very supportive of USDA's recent efforts to support small and regional packers, which will give producers more options when marketing their cattle. We were encouraged by some of the grants that they put out in this most recent round. Um, they, they're focusing on those smaller smaller operations that can offer some of those new options for producers. So uh, we're going to keep pushing down that road, and we think that that's going to be a good avenue to work on regardless of, of what we see with the, the herd size and some of those other dynamics. Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. The big rise in input costs has robbed farmers of a lot of profit this year. James Hunt says some are wondering if the new farm bill can address that problem. A major frustration for many farmers this year has been this. When commodity prices shot up, so did input costs, taking away a lot of profit potential. There's been some thinking that maybe this dilemma could be addressed in the next farm bill. Texas A&M ag economist Joe Outlaw is working with lawmakers on analyzing whether a margin protection program can be created for row crop farmers similar to the program already in place for milk producers. So, for example, in dairy, it measures the difference between the price of milk for the United States and the cost of feed on a U.S. level for hay, soybean meal, and corn which is major ingredients and major costs on the dairies. On the crop side, depending on what crop you use or grow, I'm not sure I can come up with just three categories that would need to be tracked. And then what's even more confusing is across the United States, those three categories, those costs may be vastly different in the north versus the east versus the south. And so this makes it a lot harder. We're evaluating it. That's all they ask us to do at this point is evaluate whether this is something that could be looked at. But it would protect producers when some of the major costs start increasing relative to the overall price of the commodity. That sounds like maybe then that's kind of one that may not be 100% assured of success. Well, I'm not, frankly, I can't figure out how to make it work at this point. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but we're working on it right now. Coming up tomorrow, more from Dr. Joe Outlaw of Texas A&M about the writing of the next farm bill. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Onion transplant harvest is underway in the South Texas Winter Garden area. Tom Nicoletti checks in with the nation's largest onion transplant grower. My guest today is Bruce Frazier. He is president of Dixondale Farms Incorporated in Carrizo Springs. That's located in Dimmick County where he grows a variety of vegetables and at this time uh, there is a harvest of his onion crop and uh, it just started and uh, Bruce uh, how's the harvest going and these are uh, onion transplants talk about that well we are the nation's largest onion transplant grower probably we grow about 95 percent of the onion plants that you find in the garden center we take the onion plants we plant the seeds starting in late August and uh, we plant all the way till January and then the plants, we start harvest in mid-November, and we harvest all the way to June. And 
we're shipping throughout the country here early. You know, we're shipping to states like Florida, Texas, California, southern Arizona, where people can plant early. And then as the season progresses, we ship the onion plants throughout the country. We ship the onion plants and we market in various methods. Well, we ship to the big box stores as well as independent garden centers throughout the country. And as well as we have a mail order business where we ship direct to consumers. During the past few years, during the COVID time, we saw a huge increase of in the neighborhood of 40% of people that were planting home gardens, vegetables specifically. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Central Texas is experiencing both hot and cold weather. Dr. Shane McClellan has an update from Waco. The ever-changing Texas weather is on full display in Central Texas. We have cold days with a frost, and then we'll have warm days with plenty of sunshine. It is the 1st of December, and I don't think we've had a, a normal weather pattern for some time. The only thing that's consistent, of course, is the change. One change that we can all agree upon is we need this drought-top weather to be over. McLennan County still has a 365-day deficit of negative 8 to negative 16 inches, depending on where you're at, uh, when you compare the last 365 days to our expected average for that time period. In the last 30 days, we've had a big change, though. Uh, Central Texas has received from 3 to 10 inches of rainfall, with most people getting at least 4 to 5 inches. Rain amounts are going to vary greatly as those passing showers have been either hit or missed with rainfall amounts. Over the weekend, uh, at one least place, I had over two-plus inches, and that did get my stock tanks up a little bit. Uh, didn't catch a lot of running water. And over that night, we had another two-plus inches, and that actually caught some running water and raised those stock tanks about four feet. We still need a large runoff-type rain for area lakes and stock tanks to catch more water so we're just at a more comfortable level. I am hearing similar results across our area for rainfall and those stock tanks kind of coming up a little bit. Early planted oats and wheat were off to a sketchy start but look very good now. Wheat that has been planted in the last three weeks has been slow to germinate and emerge due to the cold soil conditions. We have some sunshine and warm days forecasted for us here in Central Texas, so that should be helpful uh, to get that wheat up and out of the ground. We still have a few producers that are not finished with sowing wheat, and when field conditions allow them to go back in the field, they'll get that wrapped up and finished sowing. Uh, Hill County IPM agent Tyler Mays has found some Hessian fly larvae and eggs in his recent scoutings, and uh, it's not a, not a good sign, but only time will tell if Hessian flies an impactful 12-week harvest as they were last year. Livestock pastures look very good with the green emergence of our cool season annuals. As soon as the frost hit our area, it set back our warm season forages and livestock started consuming a lot of hay. Uh, with the recent moisture, couple that with some sunshine, should get our ryegrass, other cool season annuals growing, and hopefully that will pull livestock off the hay. Until next time, this has been Dr. Shane McLellan for Waco for Texas Ag Today. Parks and Wildlife will soon weigh potential changes to hunting and fishing regulations. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And we've always heard that one dog year is equal to seven human years, but is that really true? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. You've probably heard the old saying that one dog year is equal to seven human years. But is that really true? Dr. Bob Judd says it's probably not. We are not sure where this seven to one ratio came from, but it is widely used when comparing the age of a dog to the age of a person. University of California at San Diego used a comparative analysis of human and canine DNA and determined the seven to one ratio is very inaccurate. Veterinary News Network indicates that the researchers found the rate of canine aging is far from linear when compared to human aging as a one-year-old dog is actually closer in age to a 25 to 30-year-old person. The rate of aging does not have the same annual equivalence as a two-year-old dog is not equal to a 50-year-old human. However, a 10-year-old dog is close to a 70-year-old person. So in that case, the seven-year rule works. The key to determining age was by using methylation marks or epigenetic marks in the DNA of humans and dogs. And by comparing these marks, the researchers were able to find comparisons that made determining a dog's age more accurate. The study involved 104 Labrador retrievers up to 16 years of age and 320 humans up to 103 years of age. Targeted DNA sequencing was used to look at the marks in white blood cell DNA and find how dogs age compared to people. The vast majority of dogs are adopted from shelters and in most cases it is impossible to determine the age of the dog and age does make a difference as far as recommended health care and diagnosis of conditions. Lots of people are concerned about the age of their adopted pets and rightly so as this does make a big difference in their health care decisions. The researchers hope that the technique can be used in all breeds as breed makes a difference in aging in dogs, and hopefully the technique can be used in other mammals as well. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission will soon look at potential changes to hunting and fishing regulations. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. Staff from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department gave the public a brief preview of potential changes to hunting regulations for the 2023-2024 season at a recent meeting of the Parks and Wildlife Commission. One of those changes could be the statewide closure of the Light Goose Conservation Order. Sean Oldenberger, TPWD's Small Game Program Director, said the order is not a hunting season. Instead, it is a special management action that was put in place to control light goose populations when traditional management programs were not successful in presenting an overabundance of the population. This was a special amendment to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Basically, this allows Fish and Wildlife Service to authorize states to allow additional opportunities. This is when we introduced electronic calls, introduced no possession or bag limits. We can hunt a half an hour after sunrise. Can't do that with any other hunting season. And then also unplugged shotguns. Remember, you can have to have a plug shotgun to hunt migratory game birds, whether you're talking about ducks or doves. And so this took all those regulations away and allowed more freedom. At the time, it was thought if we could actually improve prove hunter success, we could actually decrease populations of light geese. And that was the ultimate goal toward the end, is to reduce and stabilize various light goose populations. That includes snow geese and rosses geese. 
Oldenberger said the order was enacted in the 80s and 90s because there were concerns with increasing populations of geese in staging and breeding areas in Manitoba. The thought at the time was that the increased population could create an ecological collapse. The order was enacted in hopes that by increasing hunters' chances of bagging an adult snow goose, that they could help prevent overpopulation. Oldenberger said, we now know the conservation order did not reduce adult light goose survival. We'll have more of this story on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw an up and down trade in the cattle market on Wednesday, but the cotton market got hit hard. We'll check out all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Live cattle traded both sides of unchanged on Wednesday, and that's how we closed it out with a mixed close. December live cattle up 37 cents, 151.92. February down 7, 153.55. April unchanged at 157.62. Feeder cattle closing lower across the board. January feeders down 90 cents at 180.90. March down 90 at 183.25. April feeder cattle down 72 cents at 186.60. Cash fed cattle trade a bit slow to get going this week. No sales to report so far. Here in the South, feedlots asking 156 to 157. Boxed beef prices higher on Wednesday. Choice jumped 838 to close at 251.03. Select up 222 at 221.36. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Riley Rhodes from Live Oak Livestock is my guest. They sold till midnight on Monday. Riley, how'd that midnight sale go? Oh, had a great sale, Larry. Uh, ended up with a just shy of 3,000, uh, 2,997 hit. Uh, market was a good bit better. I quoted it uh, probably 600 higher, just kind of straight across the board. Uh, it has a lot of really good cattle, uh, you know, the better quality cattle it sure showed. Uh, and then our wean cows, uh, you know, I think they brought, you know, I guess 10 to 12 cent premium uh, on top of that. So it was a good day. Uh, our cow calf pairs, not seeing many stalkers, uh, but uh, they brought from 775 to 1300. I did have a little string of red cows uh, bring from 750 to 1250. Packer cows are pretty much steady, 72 to 80 on your high yielding cows, 68 to 76 on your breakers, 32 to 60 on your canners. Packer bulls, high yielding, 92 to 98. Your low to medium, 72 to 92. The two to three weight choice steers, 194 up to 260. The heifer mates, 168 to 192. Three to four weight choice steers, 186 to 234. Heifer mates, 158 to 186. Four to five weight choice steers, 170 to 212. Heifer mates 152 to 178. Five to six weight choice steers 176 to 202. 
and from eighth, 152 to 168. Uh, the six to seven weight choice deers, 158 up to 184. And from eighth, 144 to 162. And the seven to eight weight cattle, your uh, choice deers, 148 to 168. And the heifers, 138 to 158. So uh, real pleased with it. Uh, you know, the quality was really good. Uh, had a lot of really good strings of cattle, plus having those uh, 800 uh, wean calves in our wean calves sale uh, added to it. But uh, was real pleased with it. Uh, good sale and uh, all the way around. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. 361-813-6650 is the sale. 361-786-2553 is the office. LiveOakLivestock.com is the web. We appreciate it, Riley. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Neighbor, that's our Livestock Auction Market Report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures trade now. We're lean hogs finished mixed in Wednesday's trade. December hogs up 10 cents, 82.37. February hogs down 27, 86.65. Class 3 milk was lower. Nearby December milk down 2 cents at 20.45 a hundred weight. January milk dropped 34 cents, 19.70 a hundred. Big drop in the cotton market. Traders fairly nervous ahead of Thursday morning's USDA export sales report. Those export sales reports have looked awful for the last several weeks, and traders are afraid this one isn't going to look much better. Also, some positioning ahead of USDA's Friday morning supply and demand report. March cotton dropped 276 points, 81.83. May cotton down 249 at 81.69. New crop December cotton down 165 points, 78.85 cents. The corn market managed to make some slight gains as traders are positioning ahead of the upcoming reports. December corn up two and a quarter, 627 and three quarters. March corn up four, 641 and a quarter. New crop September up three and a quarter, 607 and a quarter. Nice gain in the wheat market in Wednesday's trade. Looks like we saw a lot of short covering and profit taking. Folks who had shorted the market earlier, ridden it down, and now taking profits out of it. That helped to boost prices on Wednesday. December Kansas City wheat up 18 and three quarters, 864 and a half. December Chicago wheat up 21 and a half at 727 a bushel. In the energy markets, January natural gas up 29 cents at 576. January crude oil down $1.89, 72.36 a barrel. The financial markets slightly lower Wednesday afternoon. The Dow down 45 points at 33,551. The Nasdaq down 69, 10,945. The S&P down 14 at 3,927. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.